Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also want to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor, and we'd love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoyed the sermon today. God bless. I usually just jump into a story, but today I wanted to lay out a few caveats before I go into my sermon. So first, um, I'm not sick, but I do have a nasal infection. So if you see me pick up paper towels, it's because I'm spitting into it and putting it into my pocket, all right? So that's, that's exactly what's going on. I've had a nasal drip for like three weeks, and it's just horrible. Um, you know, 2020, where you just disclose all of your personal health information. <laughs> Diabetes runs in my family. I had three ACL surgeries, just, just to keep you informed, right? Before you enter someone's house, you just tell them all your medical history. And then secondly, I'll tell you why later, but I hated this passage. Um, <laughs> I read it, and then I wanted it. I put myself on the calendar. Then I read it again, and I literally tried to give it to all the other pastors. So I asked Dr. Ken. He's out of town. I asked Erwin. He didn't want it because he was on vacation. Kevin's at a college retreat. Kristen chose the other one. So I'm stuck with this passage. I'll tell you why I hate it later, but... Um, if this is your first time, welcome to Renew. <laughs> next, next week will be better. Uh, Kristen's preaching. <clears throat> All right, so who is your favorite? So one of the things I love uh, coaching in and teaching people to do is, is to preach. It's a really lifelong skill that I've tried to develop. You could be the judge of that over like 20 years. And now I have the privilege of um, helping Erwin and Kevin especially become preachers. And it's a pretty intense process with me. I think I wanted a lot of coaching when I was younger as, a, as an intern, and I didn't get it. So now it's probably overkill. Like, you know how your parents are compensating for their past, and then you compensate for your, for your parents? That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing as a preacher. So they come to me with their outline. I send it back with red all over. It's like, it's like someone bled all over the document. Then they send me their manuscript. I bleed all over that. Uh, red marks everywhere. Then they come and they present the sermon to me about four or five days prior. And if it's good enough, I'll see them on Sunday. But most of the time, they're coming back Friday, Saturday for one more run through. But by Sunday morning, my goal is just to encourage them. Because it's scary to come on stage and present your like baby, which is a sermon, and have people be like, your baby's ugly. Your baby's boring. Your baby is inaccurate exegetically, right? So that's what we're doing. So, um, but what I loved about having one service was that we had a 9 a.m., I don't want to call it like a practice run, but it was kind of a practice run to the children's ministry volunteers, upstairs, teacher's lounge, really intimate, 11 people, and like the sweetest people of our church. So they're just smiling and nodding. They tell you you did a great job. We have older brothers like Matt 
and Steve, as I'm walking out, they're like, Wilson, well done. And they're just healing, healing all my father wounds, right? So that's the context we usually get to start out Sunday service in. So uh, Kevin's up. We did the whole process. I'm feeling pretty good about his sermon. He did skip that last preaching session, which he hates doing in my living room. He says that's like the worst thing, so I let him skip it. And then we're in the teacher's lounge where my job is to be like a children's ministry teacher. Applaud, affirm, and encourage, right? And so I'm sitting there, and they're, they're nodding. They're doing all the sweet things. They leave. Kevin looks up to me with puppy dog eyes, and he's like, how did I do? And I thought he did not good. <laughs> But he's also on stage in 20 minutes, right? So I'm like, okay, Wilson, just hold, hold back your critiques. It's okay. It's not a disaster. But then I said, it wasn't good. And, um, and I said, would you want to try to like, work on one thing? One thing before you go up in 15 minutes. He's like, okay. So I, I ex-nade the whole intro. I take the conclusion. I throw it on top. I take the third point's illustration, throw it on the bottom. That's it. That's all you have to do, right? Just change your whole sermon. He's like, I think I could do that within 15 minutes. I was like, do you want any other pointers? He's like, I feel like I can take more. So I give him 35 more things, and I walked out of the room. See him 15 minutes downstairs. And then a wild animal enters the teacher's lounge. Levi, my second born, three and a half years old, looking for donuts, right? He opens the door. Kevin's like, uh-oh. And then he calls. He gets on top of the table. He grabs a donut. Then he's looking for a place to sit. And he decides, I want to sit on Kevin's lap. So he sits on Kevin's lap. And Kevin's like, do I, do I not work on the sermon that my boss told me to work on? Or do I, abuse, you know, do I neglect his child, right? That's, that's what he's balancing here. So he's trying to do both. He's like working on a sermon around my huge toddler. And then the, my toddler, Levi's like, I want to help you. So he starts also <laughs> writing Kevin's sermon. He steps on stage and... I feel so bad for me because I'm super nervous about how he's going to do and whether he's going to be my friend, whether he's going to reside after the sermon. He does okay. And uh, actually, he does really good. So I was very proud of him. He also hated me after. And I told my staff this, and they laughed but were like horrified at the same time. And it's great. It's great when you mix things, right? Laughing while being horrified for your coworker and scared that I'll do it to them. So Pastor Chris is like, if you did that to me, I wouldn't talk to you for two years. You know, so they're just like straight up. Don't do that to me. All right, here we go. So when I think about teaching and when I think about the best teachers or me, uh, I think about people who help you do something you couldn't do before, that you were unable to do this and and then the teacher gets you up to a point, not so that you just understand the concept or you have models or you watch them do it, but you're able to competently, for Kevin, go on stage and just knock out sermons. And he's done that super well. Or I think about Liz uh, teaching my kids how to swim, right? It's not just them walking away, understanding like the body mechanics of swimming and watching her swim. The whole time, her goal is to help them swim across the pool, is to get them water safe. But next slide, I'm thinking about our discipleship with Jesus. When we approach how we are being discipled by Jesus, is it just informational? Do we walk out of church for one year, five years, 20 years, and being like, I, I get this Christian thing? Like, I understand the concepts. I could pass some Bible trivia quiz. 
Or do we desire to do what he did? Is there a desire in our hearts to say, I don't want to just watch how Jesus lived this life and admire him. I don't want to just understand his teaching and be able to, you know, um, regurgitate it. But I want to do what he did. And we, when we look at this next passage, that's exactly what Jesus is calling his disciples into. And I would say that's what he's calling us into. Look at um, Luke chapter 9, 1 through 6. When Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And then the last part. And so they were sent out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now think about the last chapter we went through. What was it that Jesus was doing? One, one episode prior, episode? I don't know. Episode prior, Jesus healed the sick. He healed um, the woman who was bleeding. He healed the leader's daughter, right? Um, and and, and um, now he's calling his disciples to do the same thing. And then prior to that, he drove out a legion of demons and sent it to pigs. And then prior to that, he's talking about the kingdom of God, how it's like a sower sowing seeds into the hearts of humanity. It's like a light. So exactly the things that Jesus did in these triplet um, narratives, now he's inviting the disciples to do with him, to do what Jesus did, drive out demons, heal the sick, proclaim the, good, uh, the kingdom of God. They watched him do it. Now he's calling them into it. And he says all power and authority um, he's giving them. Now this is the part of the sermon I, or passage I hated. I don't know if you hated this part of the passage when you were studying it in your small group, but I hated it so much, and here's why. One part of me, uh, the conservative part of me, wants to say, hey, let's just skip the whole demon and healing part and go to preaching, right? Because it's caught in a specific context, and maybe it doesn't apply today. Um, also, it's an easier preach. But I just struggled with that because my, my intro and what I, what I feel compelled by in Scripture is that we are to model and be taught by the master to live the way he did. Okay, so that part of me is, is, is torn up. And then the second part of me is the charismatic side of me, right, where I grew up in a charismatic church and people are like, just go, just go to hospitals and just start praying over everyone and they will be healed, right? All authority in heaven on earth has been given to, to, to me, I give it to you to make disciples. And I just went back and forth with that, with that idea and I didn't feel comfortable preaching either. And no one wanted to take the sermon. And so I just spent like two weeks being, being frustrated. Um, and here's what I came to. I don't feel like 100% about it. But I talked to Jonathan Edgar at small group. And he said, it's good enough to preach. So here we go. So here's, where I, here's how I'm thinking about it. And, and again, people have landed in a lot of different places. So it's OK if you land somewhere else. Um, the, the miracles is to validate the message. So the message is the, is the main part of what the disciples are commissioned to do. But, but when you preach a message to a group of people, they're like, oh, that's a nice philosophy. And I'll just throw it in the archive of all the other rabbis preaching their teaching. Or um, I'll put it in, uh, alongside of all the other re religions in our context. But when they're gathering the demon-possessed, when they're gathering 
people who are sick, and they're being healed right in front of everyone listening to the teachings of Jesus and considering his Messiahship, there is this deep validation that their message is real because they're watching power and authority come out of the message, that there's something objective to validate what they're saying. And so when I look at church history, whether it's Acts or um, the mission field, we see that happen again and again. We see people walking into a space where they've never heard the gospel and they're considering it for the first time. And Jesus wants to validate the message through miracles. I believe, I believe that's been true throughout church history. And here's the, the little step I'm taking that I believe uh, with all my heart, that, that Jesus still wants that. And so when a person is grappling with Jesus for the first time, when a person is asking, is he real? Is this true? Does he love me? That space is a special space where Jesus wants to show up in tangible ways. And, and, and there's like this attachment period where he's up close, where he's holding them, where he's meeting their needs in a special way. And when we intersect and are sent to that space with that person asking those questions, we get to be um, clay vessels holding this treasure of God wanting to meet them. We get to pray bold prayers, asking that in this attachment period, God would just show up and it would blow their mind. I think about going to Vietnam for a short-term mission trip, teaching English. I actually saw um, some of the coordinators there this last week and invited them to renew, so I'm not sure if they're here. But um, I was teaching this girl, uh, a lot of like, people English, but I felt really like fond of this one young, young girl. It kind of reminds me of my little sister. And we were sitting on the table, and I, I, we were, as we were teaching English, I just started asking her some questions. And she shared with me that she had a hard time sleeping, that, that it almost felt like spiritual, where she couldn't fall asleep, or it would be very disruptive, or she would have nightmares. And she said, I mean, most of Vietnam is Christian, she said, or Buddhist. She said, I've been praying to Buddha, and nothing's happening. So I sat with her and I said, can we try praying to Jesus? Can we try to see if he'll answer your prayer and help you sleep? So I prayed over her and then I invited her to pray to Jesus as well. I mean, she has nothing to lose, right? She tried Buddha, it didn't work. Why not try Jesus and see if it works, right? And uh, she prayed the most simple prayer, Jesus, help me to sleep tonight. But that whole day, I was just praying that God would validate, that God would validate her, her first step of faith towards him. It's incomplete, it's partial, it's immature, but she's just reaching out to him for the first time, seeing if he's there, if anyone's home. That moment. The next day we sat down again. I was like, how'd you sleep? And she said, I slept really well. And I got the opportunity to share the gospel with her. There's people in your life who, who are wrestling with those questions who are praying for the first time because they're in a situation that they've never been in. And as we're being sent to meet them in their spaces, in all the parts of your life, what does it look like to pray that God would validate his person and power to them for the first time? 
I think that we can still pray those prayers. We could always pray for miracles, but there's a special time where people are reaching out for the Lord that he answers them. I think about Ernest. He's one of my, uh, we were best men for each other. He played drums today. And I reflect back. Uh, it's a hazy memory. But um, I think it was junior high or high school. He was wrestling with his faith, kind of going back from the world to, to, to church because he's raised there. I just saw him wrestle, um, being pulled back and forth. And, and then one day, we were sitting down for prayer in small group in my living room. And he said, God answered one of my prayers. He was really excited about it. He said, I went to the store, and I was looking for a specific Nike jacket, and I prayed, God, I pray that this Nike jacket would be there. He walks in. It's there. It's 50% off, right? So he comes to small group. He's like, God is real. God is good. <laughs> and then I remember uh, junior high or high school again, walking to the same mall, and I'm asking God, God, there's a Nike shoe that I really want. You gave... Ernest, 50% off. I want 70% off. But me and Ernest are different. God showed up in my life in tangible ways really early in elementary school. And as I'm looking for the shoe, it's like one of the few moments where I heard God's voice almost external to me. And he said, aren't we past that? Aren't we past that? Where you've grown to a place in your faith where these I'm not trying to, I think what God's trying to say is like, you shouldn't be asking if I'm real or not, and you shouldn't stake my love for you on a discounted 70% off shoe. But, <laughs> I'm sorry. When you really get that Jesus died and rose again, like that, that should carry you, right, from here to eternity. When you really believe that, it should carry you. And I think about that progression of faith um, in spiritual formation, we call it constellation, these phases in our life, especially early in our faith where God is near, where we lift our hands and we feel these tingles, where we pray and he answers us. And then there's a phase called desolation, where he's working on all the other things, like spiritual resilience, like making sure we love him for him and not the feeling of him or the things he gives us where he calls us outside of ourselves into trusting him for others. And that's what I see in this next passage. He told them, take nothing on your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave them. If anyone does not welcome you, leave their town and shake, off, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. The disciples are in a different space. They are to trust the Lord with everything. And as he's sending them, he's sending them without any excuses. But Jesus, I don't have enough money. Oh, don't even carry a money bag. Jesus, like, what if we get robbed? Don't even carry a stick. Yeah, that's a good solution. Like, that's how I want to travel, you know, the ancient world. But what Jesus is saying to not bring He's saying he'll provide for. And I wonder when we are called to go somewhere and we see our lack, maybe that lack, whatever it is, whether it's uh, the basics or a, a being afraid of rejection or feeling unsafe, that that lack, when God calls us, we say, but God, would you provide for me? I love uh, Luke 22, verse 35. Jesus asked them, this is the Last Supper, and he's reflecting back on that journey. He says, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, 
Did you lack anything? The disciples answered, nothing. That everything they needed, God provided for him, for them. After that, he's like, go buy a sword. So that's an interesting thing. All right. Um, the next, next part. <clears throat> when, so what, when Jesus sends him on the journey, he's asking them to um, trust him, to depend on him, to cast out demons, to heal diseases, and then the crux of it is to proclaim the kingdom of God, right? To, to preach the good news. What is the good news? Um, this had a military connotation back in the time that Jesus and Paul were using it. The good news represented the Roman Empire taking over the known world and sending messengers to these villages and towns that they had just conquered. And these messengers are sharing the good news. The good news is that you got conquered and you're now a part of the Roman Empire. Congratulations, right? Congratulations, you got taken over. And then they sell it. They sell it. They're like, they don't talk about the 70% tax, but what they do say is that you have roads, you'll be educated, you have opportunities to become a Roman citizen, which means there's this whole new concept called a judicial process. We don't just get to kill you because we have power. When you're a Roman citizen, you get a, a fair trial. Pretty fair for back then. That was the good news. And in the same way, Jesus is calling us to share the, the good news. The good news is that God's kingdom has come. It's here and not yet. But we're invited into this invisible kingdom to give our allegiance to a king who loves us, who cares for our needs, who forgives us. And they're sending out, they're being sent out to all these villages to tell them that Jesus is here, that he loves them, and that he wants them to be a part of his kingdom. It says also, therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God's making his appeal through us. I love the concept of ambassadors because it's being in a country, not as immigrants, where you adopt the culture and value, where you pledge allegiance to a new country, um, separating allegiance from your, from your country of origin. An ambassador goes to a country and they represent this, the country they were from. They represent their value and agenda. When there's a disconnect between the agenda of, that, of the country they're staying in and their, their country of origin, they're always representing and loyal to their country of origin. As we're being sent as Jesus' ambassadors, do we see ourselves as foreigners, even in the country we reside in? That our true allegiance isn't to Trump or Biden, but to King Jesus. And our ethics isn't primarily ruled by the laws of this land, but by scripture. And then we're inviting people into that invisible kingdom as well. So that's one concept I wanted to give you. The other one is from Acts chapter uh, 17, verse 26 to 28, one of my favorite chapters uh, or passages of the Bible. And it's talking about the people we're being sent to. From one man, <clears throat> he made all the nations that they should inherit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and history and boundaries of their land. God did this so that they might seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live 
and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. <clears throat> I love this passage because it's giving this profound truth that everyone is precisely placed where they are in space and time by God's sovereignty because he wants in that space, in that time, is where they would reach out for him, is where they would want to find him, even though he's not far away. So I'm wondering, as we think about the spaces we occupy on the next slide, our workspace, our hobbies, our friends and family, are we looking into that space saying, not only are we set there and to trust God as we go, but that they're set there too. The people we work with, the people I play volleyball with, the people that you enjoy your hobbies with, the family and friends that God's placed you next to, that they're there because they, so that they might reach out and find him so that they might look for him. And there's that special intersection that he's placed us in the same space they reside so that we can show them Jesus, so that we can ask for God to tangibly reach them over a miracle, over your kindness, over God making a, an appeal to you as ambassadors, showing them another ethic another culture, another way of living. You know, I think about um, the workspace me and Nina resided in. We were community planners for a large apartment complex, 650 apartments, 1,500 people. And our goal was to create community. So we did these big events. And um, we got to see so many people trust us as we started to create those communities. I remember a gal inviting us into her house when she broke up with a boyfriend that she had been with for 10 years, and we cried with her on the couch. I remember another apartment we walked into, sat on the couch, and the woman had left, lost her son to a motorcycle accident. And we, with her closest family, sat with her, listened to her, and wept with her as well. Showed up at the funeral. And then I think about the relationship we made with our apartment manager. Um, she wasn't following Jesus. And, and then, you know, almost every week I'm inviting her to our church plant. And she would say, okay, I'll think about going. Three months later, I tried to go. Three months later, I tried to go really hard this time, right? And it was just this progression of her, her, of her being interested in the Lord. But there were also these Im intimate moments where um, her dad passed away. She was afraid that this message he, she left her, he left her on voicemail would uh, expire. So in our little staff meeting, as she shared that with us, Nina opened up her phone to record th that last message to her. And we just sat and held this really tender moment. Um, many years later, I'm at uh, Stephanie and, and um, Ernest's birthday party for their kids, and she shows up just a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, and she told me she's been going to EV3 Fullerton. Kind of excited about that, and no, I'm just kidding. Uh, really plugged in, loves the pastor, growing in their faith. I think that 
as we move into our spaces, some things that have helped me is just to ask God for an open door and to walk into that space with him, saying, God, as I go to my work, as I go to volleyball, I'm walking into the space with you, and would you open a door of conversation so that I can help someone find you? And then to have intentional conversations, because most of the non-Christian friends I, I hang out with, okay, sorry, kiddos, but 80% of the conversation is around uh, explicit topics. That's good. And then 20, 20% is like weather, our hobby, and job. And so we talk about two, inch, two inches deep, like for 10 years, you know? And I think about my high school buddies, like girls, uh, homework, and, and basketball for four years. I didn't know, like if their, if their mom died, I wouldn't, have, we would, I don't know their last name. Like it's just like two inches of conversation, especially dudes forever, right? And um, I get an opportunity to um, sit with them and just go a little bit deeper, be a little bit more present. Oh, you could turn off these lights if possible. Um, and, and, and care for their, for their souls. So I remember just a few months ago, one of the gals that I'm friends with, uh, she's pregnant. And, um, and I congratulated her. And she said, I was so depressed that I couldn't get pregnant that I just tried to drink myself out of depression. And we had always kind of made fun of her for going really hard at a party they were at or showing up um, hungover. But just to get to that space of hearing the pains in her heart and wanting to hold it showing up to her, to, in her life to you know, the baby shower and trying to find opportunities to pull God into those deep conversations. God resides in the deep, right? It's hard to get to, to Jesus and purpose and all of that when we're talking about weather, but when we go deeper, we can hold um, those types of conversations. And then I think about also looking for those pain points in someone's life. Thank you, Heather. And um, looking for moments where they're hurting or something's broken or, something's, uh, or they're not satisfied. And, and then I even think about Jesus as he's sending his disciples out. Who are the people they're calling? Who are the people running to them? Who are the people desperate for their ministry? It's the demon-possessed. It's the sick. It's the dying. These have always been the people Jesus have reached first. Other people might come for entertainment value, right? Oh, really cool. He can walk now. What a cool magic trick. But the people that first walks into Jesus' kingdom are the ones who are, who are uh, hurting. And I, I wonder if we look at the places in our life, you know, there's people we love hanging out with. There's people we're like, man, I w- would love them to be a part of our church community. We can hang out more. And then there's people who are hurting. And I wonder what it looks like to go to them first and know that they're the closest to God's kingdom. That's how Jesus kind of intros his whole ministry. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn and weep. Blessed are the hungry. And this word blessed is used in a unique way. It's not saying that God has given you favor because you're hungry or spiritual destitute. It's saying congratulations to those who are poor, to those who are in spiritual destitute, to those who don't have enough, who are mourning something because you're the closest ones 
to God's kingdom. I wonder if we look around and we see those people and say, man, they're the closest. They're inches away from knowing and running to and wanting Jesus. Um, one of my favorite questions is what is their spiritual background? A few tips, I guess. You know, ask them about their family. How did you grow up? Where did you grow up? What did your dad do? Did you have a spiritual background? It's, it's, it kind of works in that line of reasoning. It's a little bit less intense. But after they answered that, I'll ask, oh, do you still believe that? What, if they grew up Christian, are you still a Christian? If they grew up Buddhist or Muslim or atheist, say, hey, is that something that you're still practicing? Why not? Or if you are, what do you love about it? And what do you feel disconnected with? And just exploring where they're at in their spiritual journey, how interested they are. And when you ask enough questions, sometimes they'll ask you as well. And lastly, praying for them boldly, that when the moment arises, listen to the Lord, see what they're already, he's already doing in their life, and be an extension of that. We love silence and solitude because it lets us turn inward to the voice of the Lord. And I think about Jesus batting a thousand in miracles. I don't think, for me, I don't think that, I think Jesus had to fully rely on the Spirit in his earthly ministry, that he wasn't tapping into his divinity when he was healing people. So out of himself, he had surrendered his, you know, powers to the Lord and, and living as a model to us. So when he walks and heals people, there's moments where I think Jesus passes all these people because God isn't healing them at that point in their life, uh, like the man with the rippling pool who couldn't walk, but it goes to that one person because that's what God's doing for him and heals him. So as we turn to the Lord, I think that moment of God wanting to reach them in this specific way and us praying for that is is when we get to witness like biblical proportion miracles. Um, last story, I was in Singapore working out and um, somehow my 24 hour fitness here works in Singapore. Is that crazy? <laughs> oh my gosh, otherwise it's like 100 a month. <clears throat> and so, oh, another reason why I was, anyway, okay. So that happened and then uh, I'm working out, and I, back in my early 20s, I was very impressive on the weights. And so, just mad respect, especially in Singapore. And, um, and then I remember seeing someone who um, was, was benching as well, and I felt my heart drawn, drawn to them, that the Lord wanted me to create a relationship. And I also felt a lot of, like, sadness for him. His, his um, arms were covered in bandages, you could tell that his skin was discolored. There was some cracking. So really just really terrible um, eczema, very severe. And so I, I asked him, hey, can you spot me as I'm like throwing up three plates each side, right? And, um, and uh, yeah, just subtle flexes. And then, um, so he's helping me and then I, I help him bench as well. And then we start working out together. And one day I asked him about his skin condition. And he said, oh, like, it was so bad that he can only go out at night. And he just decided to not go out for like a year and just boarded up his room so that no sunlight would come in. And he fell into just major depression. And he's slowly kind of crawling out of that, trying to go to the gym. He loves uh, bowling. And 
And yet it's like a huge burden on his life, obviously. So we, as we were sitting on the bench, I asked him, you know, uh, it's Singapore, most people are atheists, and he was as well. And I just asked him, hey, can I pray for you? And I just had a sense of like boldness in this moment. So I closed my eyes and I prayed for him like a, a prayer for uh, kind of encapsulating the gospel. And I just went for it. I just went for like, like 1,000% faith, you know, level 4,000 healing prayer. And in my mind, I'm even envisioning the Lord touching his hand and just all of the pigment returning, his skin being perfect, every crack being uh, mended together, every scab falling out, right? I pray the prayer, I say amen, I open my eyes, his arms are in the same condition. And I was like devastated. <laughs> but he, for him, he's like, whatever, like buy a lot ticket, it doesn't pay off. It's, it cost him nothing. It cost him like 16 seconds of prayer or whatever. But I was sad about it. And then in a very discouraged voice, I was like, uh, wanna go to church? You know, like, <laughs> I totally understand if you don't wanna go, like it totally didn't work. And he said, I'll go to church with you. So we went to church, we went to small group. His faith started to develop. And then um, he gave his life to the Lord. I remember leaving Singapore and him giving me a big hug on graduation said, if you didn't come, I wouldn't know Jesus. And I just think about how that's the greater gift. You know? He didn't need the miracle to put his faith in the message, in the Messiah. And one day all our bodies are going to break down. But what he gets is eternal life with the Lord, forgiveness of sin, and a friend to be with him when I'm, when I'm out. And he felt that. I, maybe in that moment of prayer, God didn't mend his arms, but he gave him a sense of peace and a presence in a way he's never felt. So as we take communion this morning, I just think about holding the greatest gift of God. It's not the miracles, the healings, the signs and wonders. It's Jesus gifting him, himself to us, laying down his life for us, shedding his blood for us, breaking his body for us so that we can become family with him, so that we could have someone to turn to, um, to fellowship with, we could lay our sin and shame at his feet and feel his righteousness and peace wash over us. Like I, I honestly forget what it's like to carry my sin because I have this. I forget what it's like to be alone because I have him. But I remember, I'm trying to remember that there's places that God's sending me every day where people carry the burden and weight of their sin. And they know what it's like to be fully alone. And I became Christian and a pastor because I want them uh, to find this friend named Jesus. And then I realized that as a pastor, I get so few opportunities compared to you guys. Where you'll be Monday morning 
where you'll be Tuesday night is so much, you have so much more opportunity than I do. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. Would you take this uh, bread that represents his body broken for you? And then would you take the grape juice representing his blood shed for you? God, we just pray that this blood and body broken, shed for us, you gifted to us, that this week as we walk into all these other spaces, that we will walk into it with you. We're just jars of clay, Lord, but we have this great treasure, your gospel, your person. And I just envision all of my brothers and sisters, wherever they're gonna be Monday and Tuesday at this time, whether it's at school or at work, or with their neighbors, that they would find, they would just ask for an open door and bring you through it, asking that you would show up in mind-blowing ways to a person who was there too, because it's there that they would reach out and, and seek you and find you, even though you're not far away. In you, we live and move and have our being. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series. And we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection helping kids bridge their faith with God's calling in their life as a businessman, as a doctor or nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-hosts together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church, and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us, on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through, um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, hope to hear, hope to uh, have you join us again.